Around the country this winter and spring, Republicans proposed 50 different laws that would impact the rights of transgender people to use the bathroom of their choosing. In Wisconsin, for example, a proposed bill required schools to make sure that students were only using the bathroom that matched their sex assigned at birth. In Kansas, legislators proposed a similar law and then also added a clause saying that any student who saw a trans person in a restroom or locker room could sue their school for $2,500. In Washington state, six proposed bills aimed to repeal the statewide protections for transgender people to use the bathroom matching their gender identity. Those bills all failed to pass. But in two states, anti-LGBT bills recently became law. In Mississippi, a new law expressly allows businesses and public employees to discriminate against LGBT people. And in North Carolina, a new law not only repealed anti-discrimination measures that more progressive cities and towns in the state had passed, but makes it illegal for people to use bathrooms that don't match the gender noted on their birth certificates. So if you're planning to use the bathroom in North Carolina, you should make sure you have a copy of your birth certificate on hand. How does that make sense? Watching this wave of discriminatory legislation, you have to wonder, what's the big deal about using the bathroom? How did the most humble part of our public infrastructure, the bathroom, become the site of fierce debate in distinguished Capitol buildings around the country? In our houses, people of all genders use the same bathrooms. You don't find a men's room on the first floor of my house and a women's room on the second. So why is it so different in public buildings? At the heart of these bills is a debate over public space, specifically, Who's allowed in our public spaces? Bathrooms are a particularly complicated public space. To get some background on how bathroom politics have changed over time, I called up someone who literally wrote the book on queer identities and bathrooms. My name is Sheila Cavanaugh. I'm an associate professor at York University. I'm also the chair of the Canadian Sexuality Studies Association. Sheila Cavanaugh is the author of the book Queering Bathrooms, which examines gender, sexuality, and bathrooms. I think of bathrooms as being gender segregated, typically, men and women, strictly binary. But as Sheila points out, bathrooms have been segregated throughout history in other ways. I think that the gender panic we're witnessing today around bathrooms has a history. I mean, certainly we have a history in the United States of racially segregated public bathrooms, right? There was not just uh, a gender divide, there was also a racial divide. And um, we also see that in some of the older original buildings in our cities, frequently, let's say, in a courthouse, it wasn't uncommon to see a bathroom built for men, but not women, because it was assumed that men worked in that public building and that women lived and worked predominantly in the home, in the private sphere. Uh, we also see class segregation around bathrooms. Uh, frequently, janitors or custodial workers who clean bathrooms in, in malls or schools or in office settings aren't allowed to use the very bathrooms they clean. Maybe you haven't taken a deep dive into the toilet history section of Wikipedia, but as Sheila Kavanaugh points out, the history of bathrooms actually reflects some important social dynamics. Cities in Europe started building public bathrooms in the 1800s, a delightful technological advancement over men peeing in the streets. As women started having the ability to participate more in public life outside the home, going to work in factories, eating in cafes, going to department stores, riding the trains, the Victorian era morals often led to the construction of separate women-only facilities. 
not just bathrooms, but everything. Separate counters and stores, separate floors and factories. In her classic book, Cat's Eye, author Margaret Atwood has a vivid description of a school in rural Canada in the mid-1900s that still has separate doors for male students and female students. There's a front door, which is never used by children. At the back are two grandiose entranceways with carvings around them and ornate insets above the doors, inscribed in solemn, curvy lettering, girls and boys. If you go in the wrong door, you get the strap, or so says everyone. Just as Margaret Atwood makes clear in that passage, read by my coworker Kate Lesniak, the gender norms of these segregated places are often strictly enforced, whether by peers, teachers, or even the police. While many of these once segregated places have become integrated over the last hundred years, gender segregated bathrooms have remained. In a recent article for The New Yorker, writer and professor Jeannie Souk noted that part of the reason public bathrooms remain segregated is building codes. Many building codes written long ago and unchanged since then mandate that there be separate bathrooms for men and women in businesses and places of work. But she also points out a current of paternalism that established these rules to begin with. The ideology of separate spheres for men and women grew out of a desire to protect women from the, quote, crude dangers of the male world. Women were fragile. We needed to be protected. These days in our political rhetoric, we're seeing a resurgence of paternalism. Remember the radio ad in Houston calling for the repeal of an anti-discrimination measure there? This would violate their privacy and put them in harm's way. That's just wrong. We must prevent this potential danger by closing women's restrooms to men rather than waiting for a crime to happen. That's textbook paternalism. And it's not just bathrooms. The need to, quote, protect women's health is the main talking point for Republicans who say that protecting women requires defunding Planned Parenthood. Here's Mitch McConnell reiterating that point last summer as he proudly backed a bill to strip Planned Parenthood of federal funding. This will ensure that taxpayer dollars that are supposed to be spent on women's health are in fact spent on women's health. Never mind that Planned Parenthood is the nation's largest reproductive health provider. This paternalism is combined with anxiety around gender, forming a toxic mix of transphobic laws that find support by saying they're protecting women. I think it's important to remember that bathrooms in the North American context have always been used to segregate people. And for me, they're really good barometers. They're really good indexes into which bodily differences matter, you know. And I think right now, one of the things that's on people's radar is um, transgender identifications. So why have other parts of our society, like our trains, our schools, our department stores, integrated gender while our bathrooms remain segregated? And to be really honest, I struggle to understand that myself. Sheila says that a lot of it has to do with shame and anxiety, about how many, many people carry around a lot of anxiety about their bodies and that they're afraid of bodies that seem different than theirs, that are unfamiliar. I think certainly there is a lot of fear and a lot of shame around the body and gender and sexuality. And certainly in very conservative Christian spaces, there is a very obvious discomfort with anyone who departs from gender normativity or with anyone who is gay or lesbian or bisexual or even with anyone who is 
overtly sexual in a way that doesn't fit into the um, conventional nuclear family monogamous structures. A lot has changed since the Victorian era when bathrooms were first built. But though gender norms have evolved, we can now show our ankles and even get credit cards all by ourselves, they haven't fallen away entirely. And we're often held to very, very extreme stereotypical constructions of masculinity or femininity. And we're supposed to take on a gender that seemingly matches the sex of our body. Well, as you know, you can imagine, this is a very narrow and prescriptive, and I would suggest reductive idea about gender. And I think that actually left to our own devices, gender is much more variant and much more complex than the two signs on the bathroom door allow us to understand. In recent decades, the design of bathrooms has evolved somewhat. Over the past 20 years, thanks to work by transgender advocates and allies, roughly 150 colleges and dozens of public buildings have created gender-neutral or all-gender bathrooms. Many companies have policies that make it clear customers can use the bathroom matching their gender identity, like Target, which is now facing a boycott from Christian right groups for this stance. There's even a gender-neutral bathroom database online, refugerestrooms.com, where you can search for gender-neutral bathrooms in any city. A search in New York turns up 280 gender-neutral bathrooms. And yet, we're not seeing the kind of terrifying situation the right-wing radio ads insist will occur if we protect the rights of transgender women to use women's restrooms. For her book, Queering Bathrooms, Sheila Kavanaugh interviewed roughly 100 LGBT people about their experiences accessing bathrooms. What she found is that many trans and gender non-conforming people face violence and harassment in bathrooms. That jives with what other studies have found. According to a 2013 report by the Williams Institute, about 70% of trans people have reported being denied entrance, assaulted, or harassed while trying to use a restroom. While some people are clearly still afraid of gender difference, says Sheila, there's not any factual basis for being afraid that trans people will assault someone in the bathroom. In my entire research, I couldn't find any examples of trans or gender variant people committing physical or sexual assault in gendered bathrooms. I only encountered incidences of those who are cisgender, that is non-trans, um, either verbally or physically, and sometimes sexually assaulting those who are trans. So when we're talking about issues of safety, physical safety, I think it's really important to put our prejudicial ideas aside and to look at statistics and to look at hard facts. And certainly I feel absolutely comfortable saying that trans people do not pose any kind of a threat to anybody regardless of what bathroom they use. So if they're not protecting women, what are these laws protecting? They certainly protect the ability to enforce old-school ideas about gender through the law. You're listening to Popaganda.